It's been one year since the start of the war in Ukraine. More than 300,000 people are estimated to have been killed or wounded. Millions have fled their homes. Over the past year, we've heard from Ukrainians whose lives have been upended by the war. And today, we check back in to see how some of them are doing. I had plans. I had everything. My life was looking, like, really good. And out of sudden, everything destroyed. Oh, it's been a roller coaster. Like, a real roller coaster. You know, it's been uh, challenge after challenge, day after day. I'm sure that I'm not the same person as I used to be last year before the invasion, before the war started. I don't think anyone could even imagine having to go through so many things in one year. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, February 24th. Coming up on the show, three Ukrainians on enduring a year of war. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. Do you have any questions? Uh, so far, no. I'm just feel, feeling a little bit nervous. That's all. <laughs> okay, we can shake it out. Really, all we want is to, like, kind of hear about what has happened to you in the last year and, you know, your thoughts and feelings along the way. Yeah, but, but that's part of it uh, because the last year makes me feel nervous as well, you know? Alona Tech is 31. She's Ukrainian, her husband Juan is American, and they have a three-year-old son. A year ago today, hours after the Russian assault began, the family rushed to leave their home in Kyiv. Juan documented their departure on social media. Who knows how the road will be, but we're going to take our risks uh, just because I don't think it's safe. For... When we spoke to Alona earlier this week, we asked her to take us back to that day. I was sleeping like peacefully. And then my husband was wide awake, running around. And he told me it happened. It's actually happening right now. Like, get up, like open your eyes and get up. And I was super sleepy. And I was like, what's going on? And we turned on the news. And then I could hear on my own that there are explosions. And like, we had my grandma staying with us at that time. And she was like, no, no, you must be kidding. It must be just fireworks or whatever. And we're like, no, fireworks uh, sound different, not like that. Alona and Juan had a big decision to make. Should they stay in Kiev or should they go? I think if it would be just up to me, I would stay. I wanted to stay in my country. 
But um, Juan just talked to me some sense uh, because I felt lost and shocked. And he talked some sense that uh, for baby, for our baby, it's wiser to leave. So we made a decision to pack everything and leave. What did you decide to bring? Do you remember, like, going through that thought process? Yeah. (laughs) Not that many things for me. It was, like, a lot of everything my child likes, all his clothes, all his shoes. And for me, I was just grabbing some things. (laughs) Like, if I would think clearly, I would reconsider some things already. (laughs) What did your grandmother think? My grandma was saying just, okay, if you're leaving, just take me to the train station. And I'm like, grandma, train station is exploding right now. It doesn't work. Everything's stopped there. Like, this is the most unsafest place right now. We can't take you there. Alona insisted that her grandmother get in the car and leave with them. They became part of a mass exodus of thousands of people fleeing to Poland. How did it feel leaving Kiev? We were mostly scared. And then on the way, we could see something exploding, like, right above our heads. And, like, that was scary. Because when you're on the road in the car, you can't escape. And you're just sitting there and hoping it's not going to hit you. How long did it take you to cross the border? Eternity. (laughs) It took us eternity, literally. Normally, it's like from the Kiev to the city we went to, Krakow, it's like 10 hours in total for everything. It took us over 30 hours, like 32 or something, to cross and get there. So, yeah, it was super long. With a baby in the car and grandma who doesn't want to go with you, that was hard. <laughs> Alona and her family are among the roughly 8 million people who've left Ukraine and haven't returned. While many women and children fled the country, most Ukrainian men weren't allowed to leave. Ukraine launched a drive to enlist men into military service. Hundreds of thousands joined. The government also encouraged people to support the war effort in other ways. People like Shamil Malachiev. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Shamil Malachiev. Uh, if you were lucky enough, if you're following Kate's podcast for a while now, you could have uh, heard our story back in April, I think, 2022. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm in Mykolaiv in the south of Ukraine near their freshly liberated Kherson. Shamil helps run his family business, a grain mill and a pasta factory. Last spring when we spoke with him, his factory was one of the few places in the region still producing food. They were sending flour to the army and giving away food to local residents. Meanwhile, Russian troops were getting closer and bombing his city, Mykolaiv. Then one night last summer... Around 4 o'clock in the morning, we've heard the explosion. And uh, because we sleep very lightly... uh, and um, around 4 or 5 a.m., we've had a call from our security personnel saying that, you know, there's, there's been a, an explosion. First thing we thought, the, f- the main production facility has been blown up. And we drove straight away, you know, in 10 minutes, we, we were there. 
four Russian rockets had hit Shamil's large grain warehouse, only a short distance from the main factory building. Thank God, you know, and there were no casualties as well because it's just a warehouse. There's nobody working around there. And uh, there was a huge fire. Uh, we've had the fire department come up, try to extinguish it, but, you know, it would still burn for another two weeks. You know, they weren't able to fully extinguish it. What was burning? It was the wheat grain that was inside. You know, the amount of heat that was generated from four explosions in four different parts of the warehouse. Um, we were scared. <laughs> we, we were really scared because, uh, um, you know, it, it came to our doorstep at that time. And, uh, you know, it, it made it real. It made it more real than we thought it could be. What did it mean for your business to lose the grain warehouse? Uh, we've lost around 60% of our cash flow, which was stored in that grain value, which, which was around uh, a million and a half dollars worth of wheat grain. Because we've, uh, it was literally the moment of the harvest. So we were buying all of the grain, you know, taking bank credits to cover all of the grains. And uh, yeah, we haven't recovered those costs yet. How did it make you feel about the war and about the Russian assault? You know, we've, we've hated it with, you know, everything we have since the beginning. You know, it's, it's just so, um, so unbelievable that, you know, you're living in a peaceful place and then just somebody comes in with, like, rockets and, you know, guns and starts shooting people, shooting, like, blowing up uh, factories, blowing up residential buildings. It's... Uh, I, it just doesn't fit, you know, in the mind. It, it's unhuman, I would think, especially in our day and age. Uh, it didn't seem realistic that something like this could happen. I think it only amplified, you know, the the resentment and the hate that we have. You know, even though in Ukraine we sometimes, you know, speak Russians, sometimes speak Ukrainian. You know, over the last half a year, we've pretty much everybody speaks Ukrainian now, just because they feel that resentment for everything that has to do with Russia. Can you describe the damage Russian bombing has done to Mikolaev? First thing I think about is universities. We've uh, lost all four universities. We destroyed. 80% of enterprises in Mikolaev have stopped working. Anywhere you drive, you see, you know, because the restorations haven't taken place yet. So all of the destruction, they can be seen daily. You know, the roads destroyed, with the hotels destroyed. With debris run like lying around next to the place of destruction. What does it feel like to drive through that every day? It feels sad. I would say it feels really sad. Um, you know, seeing the places where you used to, you know, go on dates with like your wife, or you know, just taking walks around, or the schools where you used to go to as a kid, and seeing all of those destroyed it feels like part of your soul has been destroyed with them. And, you know, you, you don't see the joy in people's faces on the streets. It's just turned all very gray. How do you keep your spirits up? Oh, good question. Good question. Um, well, me, personally, we, we talk a lot with my father, you know. Uh, we still try to have dinners, you know, family dinners, with, where we talk about things other than war. Um, we speak to the friends. And um, we just we just concentrate on the work. 
Have you, in the last year, wanted to go and fight? Um, there, is, there is a constant will to just, you know, to hell with it. Just go and take an arms and just do something and be in there. But at the same time, you know, my wife obviously not very fond of that idea. And, uh, you know, I have all these employees and everyone to take care of because, uh, you know, I feel like I'm working for all of them. I have to make sure that all of them are safe and they have something to do and they can take care of their families. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. My name is Alex. I'm from Ukraine. I'm uh, a pastry chef. Alex Trofimenkov lives in Kyiv. And in early 2022, he was getting ready to open a new business, a small cafe in the center of town called Frankly. It would serve Instagram-worthy pastries, specialty coffee, and wine. So we had almost everything ready. All the decoration, all the plates, uh, all the machinery, all the equipment. And, and then the war started. So, and, and then we, like, took a little break. We didn't want to, but uh, we were first to <laughs> take a little break. After a few months, Alex decided to go ahead and open the cafe anyway. He calls himself an optimist. And he tries to bring that spirit to Frankly. In my opinion, such cafes are important because... People feel themselves um, slightly like in a safe haven. Like, like it's like a place from the old normality, <laughs> from the old world where was no war. We want people to be able to be a little bit distracted by the nice things we do and nice things that we offer, to lose that focus on bad news and war at least for one or two hours while they're sitting in our cafe and having their lunch or dinner. What's a typical day like at your cafe? We start early. Uh, We open at 8.30 a.m. Like the waiter, the barista, or all the cooks will come to work. They will prepare, like uh, clean all the tables and... Uh, be ready to welcome guests. The cafe's Instagram page shows rustic wooden tables and stucco walls. There's space for about three dozen customers. It's got a sort of hipster vibe. 
then the first guest would open the door at maybe around 9 a.m., um, grabbing freshly baked croissants, uh, having the cappuccino or, I don't know, black coffee. There'll be lots of people with dogs. Sounds like Brooklyn. <laughs> maybe. But the reality is, Alex is running a cafe during a war. And last fall, Russian airstrikes knocked out most of the power in Kyiv. When we talked to Alex in December, he said he had to change his menu to dishes that could be prepared during a blackout. These days, things in the cafe have improved. Alex bought a generator, and there have been fewer outages. How present does the war feel? Like, it feels pretty present. <laughs> uh, tonight, we've um, experienced another massive rocket attack on, on Ukraine. Like, none of the rockets hit Kyiv, but uh, they did hit different places in Ukraine and near my parents' house, for instance. Uh, they live in a different city, and, uh, like, it was intense over there. So, yeah, we feel it. It's not the front line, but we feel it daily. What do you want us to know about your life in Kyiv? It may seem normal because, especially if you look on our cafe's Instagram page, uh, it seems like nothing ever happened. There, no war ever started and everything is fine. Uh, it is not like this. We all pretend that we live our normal lives. All of us are constantly pretending that we are okay, but we are not. Like, all of us are dead inside, let's say. All of us are empty. Many of us are, like, filled with hatred, with devastation, with, uh, with despair. How does an optimist and a positive person live with hatred and despair in them? Hard to tell. It's something new. It's the new experience. I've never experienced that before. Um, when everything is over, I will tell you how how it is, how it was. But now, I, I it feels like I just suppress it, and uh, and somehow I feed the positive part of me by I don't know focusing on something good, on on the chance to to talk to interesting people, on the chance to to see the daylight, on the chance to listen the birds sing. Something like this. It's human resilience. Yeah, I suppose so. My granddad used to say that people are very similar to cockroaches because they can adapt to anything in their life. We are able to do the same. Back in Poland, Alona and her family were trying to adapt to life there. She'd started helping newly arrived Ukrainians and says she was doing okay. But then something happened that made her rethink being in Poland. My friends who are Polish, they visited us and they were like, do you know your baby is speaking Polish? And we're like, no, we were saying he just blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> we, we didn't know that was Polish. <laughs> Yeah, so we're like, 
okay, we need to do something about it. We need to choose a country where we can understand uh, what he's saying. Because, yeah, we're a multi-language family. It was already hard enough, but adding Polish to that, that was <laughs> over our heads. Alona and Juan decided to move their family to Spain. Juan speaks Spanish, and they could drive there. How did your grandmother factor into this decision-making? Obviously, she didn't want to go anywhere. <laughs> no, she, she, she did show us uh, every day how much she wants to go back. And eventually, I just have to give up. And she did go back. How has life been for you in Spain? In the very beginning, it was pretty hard, <laughs> I would say. Everything is, like, different. All the people are always cheerful, always so relaxed. Like, we're not like that. <laughs> it's totally different here. So I was just, like, feeling lonely and kind of sad. <laughs> Do you ever sort of wish you were back at your home in Kiev? Like every day, yeah. I want to be there. I can tell you, even through the war is going on, and it's not easy, and people don't have electricity or light or anything or heating, I do wish I were there. Because people who are there, they feel mentally much better than I feel here. I do feel like I don't belong here and why I even here, you know? And there they feel, not safe, but they feel proud. And how do you answer the question about why you're in Spain? For my family, I think. It's more for my family. Obviously not for myself. <laughs> but you feel like you're kind of missing out on this moment for your country. I'm like a fighter in my soul, you know, so I, I want to be there and help more. And I see my friends who are staying there, they're doing a lot. Every day they're doing something. And yeah, I would prefer to join them, be with them. But yeah, I'm being the mom, <laughs> living a safe life. Do you think you'll return to Ukraine when the war is over? I have doubts. About that. I would love to, but I know that, like, my child is getting used to live here. So, and the more years, I don't know, I guess we're looking at years now, the more used to, to he will be here. He loves it here, and now he has his best friends, and he starts to forget his pre previous friends already. And everything's changing, and now he's used to live here, and he loves it, so I probably wouldn't want to change it for him. It's been too much instability in his life. He needs some stability. At the end of each interview, we ask Shamil, Alex, and Alona one final question. What three words would you use to encapsulate what the last year has been like for you? Changes would be one for sure. The main one is resilience. Uh, unity. Ukrainians, like, united like never before. 
loneliness. Humility. Let's say bravery. Unexpected. Like you just uh, trying to fear to live normal life, and then you read news, and you like you're a completely different person again. Hope for something better to come, just like in the, that old Star Wars movie. Yeah, we need a new hope. Hope. Hope for a new future. Hope for the future of Ukraine that many of us envision and strive for. That will hopefully come to fruition. That's all for today, Friday, February 24th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show's produced by Annie Baxter, Ariana Bowe, Catherine Brewer, Maria Byrne, Pia Godkari, Rachel Humphreys, Brendan Klinkenberg, Matt Kwong, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Alan Rodriguez Espinosa, Pierce Singy, Jivika Verma, Lisa Wang, and Catherine Whalen, with help from Jonathan Sanders. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner, Nathan Singapak, and Peter Leonard. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Catherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, Nathan Singapak, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.